0: I don't have a handicap parking position. I'm not, I I don't need any devices to help maneuver me from place A to place B. But that doesn't mean that I don't deal with a lot of disabilities.
1: You may think of a disability as something that you can physically see, someone in a wheelchair, someone that's blind or deaf. But there are also other disabilities, not so obvious things, hardships or diseases many people cope with daily. And this week on Mindful Headlines, I speak with Elise Bryson, another colleague of mine at King. Five news. We got connected after I released a podcast on battling alcoholism, one of my most listened to episodes. Elise said, Hey, that's me too. And I'm delighted to share how she's turned her struggles into a thriving online community with her website, The Sober Curator, and how she hopes to inspire others.
0: Have we met? Like I'm the director a thought, (laughs) like, you know, but they don't, there's just this idea. Like if you don't drink, you must be boring. You must not have a life, you know, but really, It's not any different than any other lifestyle choice, whether you're choosing to be vegan or gluten-free. She's also the keynote
1: speaker today, the day I'm releasing this, at Microsoft's Disability Employment Symposium. She has tips on how to advocate for yourself in the workplace. Elise will share that here on the podcast as well. So listen in, and I hope you feel empowered. Elise, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I want to let everyone in on your title at King 5 because it's so fun to say. It's Director of Market Development and Director of Fun.
0: Ah, Director of Fun is my favorite of the two titles, as you can imagine. So i worked really hoping- hard to get that one. I worked really hard for that one.
1: <laughs> yes. So I, I love seeing your email signature every time we've corresponded. Uh, so this is going to be a fun podcast. I have so many questions for you and you have something really cool on your plate coming up and you're going to be speaking with Microsoft and people that are attending a symposium there. So can you just kind of
0: fill us I in? I am. Yes. It's the Microsoft Disabilities symposium. And, um, I am the keynote speaker, so I am kicking off the first 25 minutes. Most of the people that are attending this event, it is a free event, um, are in HR as part of their profession, so that's who, you know, would have most interest in attending, Um, but I have a few friends that will be sneaking into the call as well.
1: What are you going to be speaking about?
0: Well, um, you know, as a person who has juggled a handful of different disabilities what I'm talking about um, is really leaning into the fact that you can't make assumptions about people, whether they do or do not have a disability, just with the naked eye, right? Um, I don't have a handicap parking position. I'm not, I, I don't need any devices to help maneuver me from place A to place B, but that doesn't mean that I don't deal with a lot of disabilities. Um, and so the ones that I deal with are mental illness, addiction, and depression, which are all kind of in the same umbrella, but have different, you know, different things things within each of those. And then I am also a cancer survivor and a heart disease survivor. So I've had a lot of challenges in my 46 years of life.
1: I have so many questions for you, Elise, you know, that feeling when you're getting ready to go to like brunch with your friend and you just have to catch them up on so many things and you have so many questions for them. <laughs> I feel like that same feeling when I was getting ready for this podcast, because I was going through the list of things I wanted to talk to you about today. And I felt like, wow, there's so much that I want to ask her. I want to ask about the symposium, about silent disabilities, and also how we got connected because For this podcast in particular, since we have a colleague, Roberta Romero, that was on the podcast just a few weeks ago, and then you reached out to me and we've just been chatting ever since and, you know, getting to this point. So I think it's just, we have a lot of topics to cover. Um, A
0: lot to cover. Yeah, a lot to unpack.
1: Yeah. So, okay. You know, you said some things that I think are going to really stick out for people. You talked about addiction, mental illness, and um, how a lot of those go hand in hand. But then you also mentioned being a cancer survivor and um, battling heart disease as well. Those are all really difficult challenges within themselves. And then that's a lot, right? For one person. So um, maybe you can give me an idea of how how you deal with that on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, I guess I'll back it up. Um, So my sobriety date is May 1st, 2006. So I am coming up in a couple of months on my sweet sober 16. And when I got sober, I was actually working at the Seattle Times and they were very supportive and I had great insurance um, program through them and I was able to go and get outpatient treatment. Um, And then as I, I change, change companies, I went to work for um, a, a local magazine in early recovery, I didn't know how to advocate for myself. I didn't know how to talk about what I was personally dealing with in the workplace because there's so much stigma around addiction. And in early recovery, you're dealing with so many emotions that you're not used to dealing with because, you know, you were, I was used to numbing them out. And so I really, I didn't know how to advocate for myself. I didn't know how to set boundaries. And I kind of ended up in a not ideal Um, work dynamic. And so over time, I've learned how to advocate for myself and, and over time, Although there is still a lot of stigma around addiction and mental illness, I do think that it's, we're making some progress in that area as well. Um, And you see that there are a lot of people that are recovering out loud and talking about these things and no longer ashamed of them or ashamed, like if somebody finds out, am I going to lose my job? And will I not be up for that promotion? All those things. And um, a little over five years ago, when I actually interviewed for my position here at King Five, that was part of my interview process. I laid my sober cards on the table and I was like, I want to walk you through my resume and I'm going to tell you all the amazing reasons why you should hire me. But then I need you to know that I base, I, I, I also have to deal with some of these outside issues that unfortunately do sometimes impact my, my day to day. And there might be a time where I'm feeling not in my, not comfortable in my skin and I need to leave and go sit in a church basement for a lunch break at a 12 step meeting to pull myself to together. And I need you to know I need the flexibility to do that. Or there might be a really important client dinner or event that I'm supposed to be at because of my job. But for whatever reason that day, I'm just not in the right headspace. And I I might feel triggered by putting myself in that situation. I need you to respect my decision. Now, in exchange for that, what I will promise promise you, or you know, this is what I said in, in my interview is I will do all the things I'm supposed to do to, to stay balanced and on top of these challenges, but I'm not perfect. And, and it's not easy and it can be up and down, but I promise you that when I do show up at work, I'm bringing my whole self to work and you'll get more than a hundred percent. I just need to have that flexibility. And thankfully they were incredibly open to that. Obviously I'm here and, What it did is really just laid the groundwork for me to manage up and let them know my needs were, um, what my challenges were. And then over time, I ended up becoming an advocate within the walls of King 5. And not that I walk around wearing I'm sober on a T-shirt, but... I'm not shy about it. People are aware about it. And so if they want to come and talk to me privately, maybe they have questions, maybe they're looking for resources, maybe they have a friend or family that they're concerned about, I want people to know that I'm here and happy to be that advocate and resource for them. And you're not
1: only an advocate within the walls of King 5, now you're able to speak within our own greater community, right? Like the symposium that's coming up with Microsoft to help others speak for themselves or um, be an advocate for themselves. But that takes a lot of courage. Tell me that process for yourself, going from someone battling addiction and battling mental illness, and then getting to that place where you can be an outspoken person,
0: that takes a lot of guts. It does take guts it takes practice like it takes time I am the longer that I do this, the less that I know (laughs) and, um, but I do I do get confident in some ways, but i'm not so confident that I think that i'm somehow cured or magically like everything's okay now. Like I have to do a lot of different things, um, whether it's therapy, whether it's art therapy, whether it's time with my animals, whether it's walking, but what's been really imperative for me is to have a recovery group around me of like-minded people that I can call like Roberta Romero. I can call and say, Ooh, I'm having a bad day. Ooh, I can't see my part in this situation. I need you to tell it to me straight, like help give me an outside perspective. Don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. And over time, I've been been able to collect this really incredible, strong network of predominantly women um, that are also in recovery that I can really lean on when the times get tough and when those days get hard. So when I end up facing big life things that happen in recovery, like heart surgery, and being diagnosed with cancer or my son being di- diagnosed with Crohn's disease, I at least have some tools to walk through that process um, versus before I just avoided everything or 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 did whatever I could to numb out and just not deal with life.
1: Yeah. And that's a segue for me to talk to you about the Sober Curator. And I'm curious when you decided to take on that project and that business um, or blog, I don't know what you... What, I guess I should ask you.
0: Well, you know, it's hard to call it a side hustle because I think side hustles are supposed to make money and it does not do that. Um, And that's not really the intent. But um, the sober curator was something that I'd had rolling around in my head for a couple of years as someone who's in long-term recovery. I'm constantly looking at feeding my soul. And uh, when I, when I first got sober, this is going to sound like I like walked uphill to school both ways in the snow, but like. There was no social media, right? I I mean, I think I might have been on MySpace. Facebook was just getting started, but I didn't get onto Facebook until a little bit later. Um, The self-help section at Barnes & Noble, pretty limited. And I didn't walk through that section and necessarily identify with the books that I was seeing there. And so I didn't have a lot of options. And then when I was seeing how it played out in the media, all I was seeing was celebrities is how they were kind of getting dumped upon for their terrible addict behavior. And then in the movies I was seeing there, there are some good movies, um, you know, 28 days is like a classic Sandra Bullock. Um, and I identify with many parts of that movie, um, but it's pretty stereotypical. And in, in most of the ways that you see addiction play out in the media. Is, it's very stereotyped so you you see the rock bottom or you see them going to treatment or or just getting out but you don't see the woman with five years sober you don't see the woman with 10 years sober and how she's put her life back together and so as i was looking for those kinds of resources i i really couldn't find a lifestyle magazine that catered to me in that way and with my background in magazines being in running one for you know and being at one for nearly a decade um i was like well i could just I could just do this myself. Um, But then I was like, when am I going to have the time? And then thank you, global pandemic. All of a sudden, we're all working from home. I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not commuting. I'm not going to events. I'm not traveling. All of a sudden, I was given this extra time. And so I just kind of one day decided, I think I'm just going to do this. I think I'm just going to build this website and just see what happens. And that was a year and a half ago. And now the Sober Curator... Has over 20 sober curators around the United States and in Canada, Mexico, and Australia. So it's pretty cool.
1: So cool because it is this community that you were talking about that has helped you in so many ways throughout your life that you basically took that concept and put it online for other people who are looking for sober ideas, sober lifestyles, support, et cetera. And it's all encompassed in this really cool website because I've gone through it all and I've looked and there's just really interesting blog posts, but then you'll find something really unique. Like, Hey, I really like this non-alcoholic drink, or I really Mm -hmm. like this t-shirt or this company. And I think it's really neat because it, basically captures this idea that it's a lifestyle change right it was a huge lifestyle change for you
0: right it's you know it's i am very intentional with the site although i know that i get people on it that are sober curious Or have a loved one that they're curious for. Um, We're not in the business of telling anyone they need to get sober. We're not in the business of telling anyone how to get sober. We're not selling any of those kinds of services. It's really meant to be aspirational and show the fun side of recovery. I I can't tell you how many times, Jessica, over the last 15 years, when somebody finds out that I don't drink, they're like, oh, well, what do you do for fun? And it's like, have we met? Like I am the director of fun, like, (laughs) you know, but they don't, there's just this idea. Like if you don't drink, you must be boring. You must not have a life, you know, but really it's not any different than any other lifestyle choice, whether you're choosing to be vegan Or gluten free, like it's a lifestyle choice. I'm committed to this lifestyle choice, and so now I just want to be. I want options to keep me entertained and informed, and to continue educating me on things that I don't know. And and I love supporting other people in recovery that are sober business owners, right? So I want to buy. I want to buy their products because I want to support them. So that's kind of what the sober curator is meant to be: is this catch all um, for all of that kind of goodness.
1: It reminds me of one of your quotes that I wrote down because I wanted to ask you about it. I listened to one of your podcasts you did with um, a friend of yours, and this was the quote I found on the site and I loved it. You can take the girl out of the party, but you can't take the party out of the girl.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I still am the life of the party. I just, you know, I I tend to not stay out all night though. Like I have fun and then I leave. And, you know, when we throw events at the station, um, Libby and I, uh, Libby is our community director, community relations director, and her and I also work together at the magazine. We're thickest thieves. We're sisters. And you know, it's, it's, we might have to host a lot of people and have an open bar and specialty cocktails and that's fine. I'm not anti-alcohol, right? If you don't have consequences from it, my hat is off to you. I personally can't have it because I black out and sleep with strangers. Like I don't make good choices, you know? And so, um, so it's always important when I'm hosting events that there's also really great non-alcoholic options too, because I can't tell you how many events I've gone to over the years where it's just like, they go to no length to have these open bars and beautiful cocktails and amazing glassware. And then I I go up to the bar, I'm like, hey, what do you have that's non-alcoholic? And they're like, uh, water in a Dixie cup you know, which is kind of the equivalent of putting me at the kid's table. I want to have something fun and interesting and some fun garnishes and a pretty glass. I want to fit in. And I think with people that deal with addiction issues, that is such a big part of it is we feel like we don't fit in anywhere. And so then, and people just don't know how to act. I I can't tell you how many times someone said, well, you can't just have a little bit because, you know, this is a special celebration. And it's like, well, you know, if I told you I was allergic to onions, Deathly allergic to onions, you wouldn't force your casserole on me because it's your birthday, right? Like you wouldn't, that wouldn't even come up. But but alcohol is so ingrained in our culture that people just expect it to be part of everything. And one of the things I've talked to about a lot of the managers at the station is like, as we're planning events for our teams, like, why are we doing events that only that, that the main activity is drinking? That's isolating at least one third of the staff who don't drink for whatever reason, like I don't drink because I have problems with it, but other people don't drink because they don't like it for religious reasons. There's a lot of different reasons not to drink. So I'm just looking for, I'm looking forward to the day where we can celebrate and be socially inclusive for all. Speaking of something that's
1: inclusive for all that I know is coming up for you as well is New York fashion week. And you mentioned that, that's so cool. It sounds like this project, a new endeavor has also made your life a lot more fun.
0: Oh, it's so fun. I'm so excited. In a couple of days, days, um, one of the sober curators, she actually lives in Olympia and her and I met through Instagram and she's actually the head of a nursing department at a psych ward in Olympia, but she loves fashion and she loves still getting ready for life. And Her and I both related to the fact that we were party girls. We were club girls. So part of getting ready and getting dolled up while we were drinking was a big part of it. And then you get sober and you're kind of like, well... What do I get dressed up for now? But we still love fashion. We love thrifting. We love putting looks together. And so I was like, I think we should start a fashion column on the website. And she was like, who's going to read that? I'm like, people are going to read it. Like people are going to read it. It's a very unique um, perspective. And so she started that column in September. And shortly after there, we became aware of this fashion show that's happening uh, at February New York Fashion week called break free and everybody inside of the fashion show all of the designers are either in a uh, dealing with addiction recovery mental illness somewhere in that space and then everybody walking in the show also is, um, you know, in recovery or deals with me- mental illness. And and Kate is actually going to be walking in the show. I am so glad to not be walking in the show and just be sitting in the front row. Um, and we're just we're so excited and, and doors are opening. And she's had the opportunity to, to interview so, so many cool designers from around the country that um, it's just really great to be a part of something like that. It speaks to
1: what you were saying, that you can live a sober lifestyle and there can be awareness about doing things sober for everyone, whatever the reason is. And it can still be a ton of fun because that sounds like a ton of fun.
0: <laughs> so much fun. And and I I remember it all and I enjoy it so much more, quite honestly. I really do. So as you
1: probably know, I started the podcast um, last year, May, I think it was, and um, I've done a lot of Podcast episodes that surround the topic of mental illness. And it's not necessarily the focus that I had in mind when I first started the podcast. I thought just more psychology in general, really um, looking into what makes people tick, why we gravitate towards certain things, why. Um, bits and pieces of what's happening in our community, make headlines when other things don't, and just unpacking how we interact with news headlines, right? But I've seen through the years, just being a journalist for you know more than a decade, that mental illness is something that we're starting to talk about more often. So I just want to get your take on that and um, where that trend is going. And I, I feel like you really are, are focused on that topic already. And so are you seeing that as well?
0: Yes, I mean, I was just telling this to Roberta the other day. I was like, is it just me or is being sober cool all of a sudden? Like, and I have a friend, um, her blog is called Recovery is the New Black. So, you know, if you go onto TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, there is an outpouring of people that are recovering out loud in this space. I would say that from from my vantage point, most of them are what I would call early recovery, which is zero to five years. Um, Looking back now, I mean, I can remember at two or three years thinking, whoo, I've really got my stuff together. I absolutely did not have my stuff together and there was still a lot more layers of things that I needed to work on, but there was some kind of shift that happened with me around the five-year mark. And I've talked to many, many, many other people that have had the same experience that at five years sober, at 10 years sober, you kind of go through these bigger shifts. And so I'm seeing this huge explosion of people recovering out loud in all of these social spaces, which is incredible. And sometimes... I get a little nervous because a lot of these issues for many people can be life or death. And so, um, you know, when I see somebody who's got six months sober, that is like all of a sudden decided they're selling, they're a recovery coach and they've got no professional training who that makes me really nervous. Um, But at the same point, I think collectively with so many people talking about it, it does help destigmatize it. And in a way it normalizes it. I think we have a really long way to go, but you know, if you look at how far we've come when it comes to smoking cigarettes, right. As a former smoker, like back in my twenties, I was definitely a smoker and it was cool and everybody was doing it. And now lots of people are still smoking that it's not been wiped out, but it is kind of frowned upon and it's, you can't do it in a lot of places. Right. And, and because people got really concerned about all of the health issues around smoking. Well, we're starting to see that now with, uh, with alcohol. I mean, how many headlines have you seen in the last year about um, alcoholism rising with, with the pandemic and women and liver cancer and all these things. And so I think it's entirely possible that 10 years from now, now that drinking will still be a part of our society, but not in such a way that it's such a crutch or so inundated. Like I can't even go to the grocery store without turning an unexpected corner and bumping into a display of rum and Cokes in a can. So I'm hopeful that they'll, you know, with, with laws coming out about putting more labels on things and warning people, and then people realizing that it's, It's not embarrassing. You can ask for help. You're not weak because you ask for help. I'm hopeful that the collectiveness of everyone recovering out loud makes people maybe want to get help sooner, you know. I knew I had a drinking problem well before I stopped. Years and years. Oh, I I knew when I started drinking as a teenager, I knew I drank differently than my friends. I I just, my body, I just drank differently. And I started blacking out at a really early age, which is definitely one of the signs, you know, and unfortunately it's not like there's some test. You can't go shove something up your nose and be like, oh, you're positive for alcoholism. It doesn't work that way. Right. Um, But I knew all, I knew for years before I ever got to a place where I was willing to do something about it.
1: You mentioned your son and earlier in the podcast, you mentioned his um, diagnosis of Crohn's disease. You also Mm -hmm. mentioned um, your heart disease and cancer diagnoses. So I wanted you to kind of give me the timeline as well on that, because one of the headlines we've seen during the pandemic, especially, is when people kind of have um, other stressors in their lives or they're really going through a tough place sometimes they turn to alcohol or other ways of coping. And so will you walk me through the timeline and how you dealt with all of that while also maintaining sobriety?
0: Yeah. Um, so the heart, I had emergency heart surgery shortly after turning 40. I actually started experiencing problems the day after turning literally the day after turning 40 to the point that my son actually drove me to the ER because we couldn't I I was like what's wrong with me and it took several weeks to try to pinpoint what it was because My cholesterol was fine. Um, I didn't know that there was any history of it on either side of my family um, other than living a really high stress life Um, and knowing that I'm a person in recovery. So I did used to drink and drug quite a bit and I did used to smoke, but it had been, you know, 10 years. And so I went in for a stress test um, to try to figure out what was going on. And I actually had one of these episodes, which is called an angina. It's a very unfortunate word, if you want my opinion, (laughs) Um, but it's basically like a miniature heart attack or a precursor to a heart attack. Mm -hmm. So I had one during the stress test and it was after that, that they were like, okay, um, you're going to be rolled into the cath lab, which I didn't know what that meant. I was like, okay, I have, I have appointments this afternoon. Do you not know who I am? I'm very important. I have lots to do, you know? And they were like, I don't think you understand. You're not going home today. You're about to be rolled into heart surgery. And I was like. Wow. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> you know, so then I called Libby and I was like, uh we have a problem, Houston. We have a problem. Clear my schedule. And at the time my son was actually home sick and in this two week period he had dropped a lot of weight really fast and was not feeling right. Um so I didn't want to call and freak him out with um so I had Libby, you know, kind of organize things for me and call my parents and work all of that out and um, as I was being rolled into emergency heart surgery, I was just like, how is this happening to me? Um, and it turned out that my, my widow maker, the left artery, was uh, over 95% of the way blocked. And it has a nickname for being called a widow maker because usually if you have that kind of blockage in it, you tend to have a heart attack and die on the spot. So it's really amazing that I that it got caught. Um, I will forever thank Swedish Uh, hospital and everyone there for saving my life. Um, And, and then the very strange thing is they send you home the next day after they put the stent in. So it was like, I was in the hospital for a little over 24 hours, which is mentally like, you know, something major just happened, but you're still not there. So it's like, it feels very weird. Um, and then two days after that, my, my, my son, we finally were able to get him into appointment and that's where he got diagnosed with the Crohn's disease. So it was not a good week in our household. Um, where both of us all of a sudden had these like critical diseases that we're going to be, we're going to deal with them for the rest of our life. And in my case, it was, I I was I was running and gunning too hard, you know. Yes, I had the party lifestyle for well over a decade, um, but I also had a decade of sobriety under my belt. I but I I went from being an alcoholic to a workaholic, um, and I, it was a few months after that that I realized I couldn't stay at that job anymore. Um, and then my son ended up having. Uh, a major surgery because of the Crohn's To remove a lot of the damage He was in the hospital for a week And then two days after that Our four-year-old dog died I mean, it was like a oh country yeah. It was like everything that could have gone wrong was And so that's when I was like I'm going to cash in all my vacation time And and just kind of like Put my little household back together And it was during those weeks off That I was like, I can't go back to that job I there's I'm not going to be able to, It's going to kill me Because I don't know how to do that job and have balance. And so, um, so I took the, the, the next year off, um, and then ended up at the mighty King five. And actually it was, so that was 2015 that all of that happened. And then 2018 I went in, well, I went in for some Botox if we're going to be honest, (laughs) but I had this mole on my ankle and I was like, Hey, I don't really like this mole. It's right next to this little tattoo and it's throwing off the design can we just remove it? And she was like, Oh, of course we can, honey, don't worry. You know? And two weeks later on my birthday, I don't have great birthdays, Jessica on my birthday. Um, I'm waiting with Libby after lunch to catch an Uber back to the office. And I was like, you know, I haven't heard back about that mold. Do you think I should be worried? And she was like, Oh no, it's fine. And I went to check my voicemails and they were like, yeah, you have stage one cancer. We're referring you on. And so I um, had to have a huge chunk taken out of my ankle. Um, and I was off work for about a month, but I have to tell you, um, King Five was so support, so supportive of me during that time. They were like, take all the time that you need. They sent me an Uber Eats gift card so I could have meals delivered. They were people were dropping by. Um, one of my coworkers came by and washed my hair for me because I really struggled getting into the shower. Like, when you have a coworker come and wash your hair, like I can get a little teary about it. Like, that's pretty incredible, you know? So um, so scary things that happened, but I didn't drinking, going through any of that was not, not going to be a solution. It was not going to make it any better
1: going through all that. And I know you're getting teary eyed, but, um, going through all that, does it make you appreciate your sobriety and like living your
0: life to the fullest, even more? Absolutely. When you have, I mean, really that's a brush with death, a couple brushes with death. That's, you know, um, so it really changes your perspective on how and who you want to spend your time with. Um, it also really showed me who shows up for you, who, who says they're your friend, but who really, you know, there's lip service and then there's action. And I'm very much, I may talk a lot. I'm good at talking, but I'm also a person of action. Like if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And so I was really able to see, who actually really cared about me, you know, in the same way that I cared about them. And then it does make me spend my time differently. Most certainly I make, I've made different decisions since all of that happened. I will say that the PTSD from all of that has been hard. um, and that definitely has been triggering into the depression and, and the anxiety that I deal with. I've been to the ER probably, I don't know, six or seven times thinking I was maybe having a heart problem, mm-hmm. but everything was fine. And they, they, they tell me every time it's completely normal to have those kind of phantom feelings. Um, but, but I still need to go in if I actually think there's a problem, you know, and sometimes I'm like, I don't want to go. This is probably nothing, but, but what if it's not, you know? So um, um, the PTSD from it is, can be pretty intense at times.
1: I want to bring it full circle because one of the things you're going to be speaking about with Microsoft is being an advocate for yourself. So does that strengthen your resolve to be an
0: advocate for yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so part of the reason I share my story is not to be attention-seeking or like, look at me and all these things I've survived, but that, but that, but that if somebody else is going through any any of those things, that they know that other people have gone before them, there's there's all these places to get help and support and that you can do it. When it feels hopeless, like you can, you can walk through it, um, but you do have to kind of, you know, you do have to learn to deal with things, but through sobriety, I, I'm able to deal with all the tough things that I was definitely not able to show up for before. I mean, it definitely makes me a better employee, a better coworker, a better mom, a better sister, a better friend, a better daughter. If you could give advice to anyone listening about showing up for themselves, you
1: kind of told us what you said when you got to King Five, and you said, "Hey, I need your support in this regard." But say someone's in a job for five years already, or they're you know they've been there for ten years, and they really have something that they're dealing with silently because it's something you talk about. How
0: how do you navigate that? If you work at a company. Like that's like the one that we work at. There's a lot of resources. So, and and even if you don't, there are so many resources. There are so many nonprofit organizations or state-run organizations that are willing and able to supply all kinds of resources and all kinds of things. So don't be afraid to tap into those things. Like that's what they're there for. And don't be afraid to, you know, listen as you hear other people around you that might be dealing with things. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I think that's a huge thing is people don't want to ask for help for a variety of reasons, whether it's their shame, or they're embarrassed, or they don't want to bother anybody. Um, But there's so much power in admitting that you need help. Um, And then for me, like the other side of it is, because there are so many amazing people that showed up for me and helped me like in all of these different areas, it makes me want to show up for other people um, because it was given so freely to me. Now I want to give it away very freely, if that makes sense. It does make
1: sense. How do you define disability, especially a, a silent disability, for example?
0: I think that I... I have made the mistake of of stereotyping disabilities and assuming that meant a wheelchair or some kind of obvious handicap or, you know, legally I'm technically blind if I don't have my contacts and glasses, Um, but I'm still like that doesn't affect my job performance so long as I don't lose my contacts or glasses. So um, I think a disability is when someone just has obstacles that they don't, they they don't have a choice in the fact that they have these obstacles. Something has happened to them, whether it's a car accident or they were born with a certain uh, defect um, or, or, you know, any kind of disease that you either have or get um, that keeps you from being able to fully function in the world without assistance. Um, and if you, I guess, if you look at it that way, aren't we all dealing with some kind of a disability? I hope that everybody's kind of re-looking at what what that means and then how to be supportive in in, in those areas.
1: Elise, thanks for being a part of the podcast. Ah, uh, thanks for having me. See you around the office. Once again, that was Elise Bryson, and you can find the sober curator in our show notes as well as some other relevant resources. I'm Jessica Janner Castro, and you've been listening to Mindful Headlines. My goal with each episode is to understand how our minds influence current events so we can better understand our world inside and out. Make sure to subscribe for more episodes and please share with your friends and family. I'll see you next time.